and welcome to Sisters Who Stan, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the stories and shows that made us and explores the questions they've left us asking. I'm Emma. And I'm Bridie. Buckle in as we prepare to celebrate the weird and wonderful world of fandom. Okay. Welcome to the finale of season two. Dun dun dun. (laughs) Yeah, finale of season two. It feels good to be here. Been looking forward to this episode. Mm, me too because I want the series to end it's just that (laughs) (laughs) I've been looking forward to the topics of this episode Mm, Um, same and as things are starting to sort of spring back into life over here in the UK it's sort of come at a good timing for us because we have a few other things we want to get our teeth into at the minute so yeah Mm. feels like a good point for a little break Mm -hmm. yeah so would you like to tell everyone uh, the title of today's episode, Bridie? Yes, I, I certainly would. So today we are looking, it's not a question mm-hmm. because, you know, we can work We make our own question. rules. This our house. <laughs> we do what we you like. came to our house. We're making our own rules. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> yeah. Um, and today's episode is called Wise Words from Other Worlds, mm. mainly because of alliteration. Mm-hmm. But also, we're a big fan of alliteration on this podcast. We are sisters who stand feminism, fandom, and friendship. Exactly. But yeah, wise words from other worlds. I think it kind of speaks for itself as a title, but basically, we're going to be looking at some of the best take home advice from our favorite stories. Mm, yeah, just sort of little bits of pearls of wisdom from other galaxies and universes that, yeah, we've been exploring over the last two series, really. Um, And there's been something really nice about focusing on like the magical side of stories for a bit. Mm, Yeah, definitely. But I really hope that, you know, people who aren't familiar with those things or maybe, I don't know, aren't as into sci-fi and fantasy can still like take something from this episode. Yeah. And obviously, you know, with the last year and the bad thing that's happening, Mm -hmm. I won't say its name. Um, (laughs) No, actually, fear of the name only increases fear of the thing itself. Thank you, Hermione. First pearl of wisdom dropped. (laughs) What a beautiful segue. Thank you. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, so with the coronavirus, I think the idea of a global pandemic was slightly beyond my comprehension before it happened. Mm. And I think that there's a reason that the worlds we found comfort in during this time are those which kind of aren't naturalistic. Mm. We can view those sort of fantastical stories in a metaphorical way and they can kind of end up speaking to our current experience more than naturalism can because Mm. what we're facing doesn't feel every day. Yeah. Well, I kind of feel like everything that's happened over the last year, you know, it does feel like the plot of a sci-fi film. Um, Mm. I remember watching the first lockdown on TV and just feeling like I was in a scene from a, you know, a George Orwell novel. Yeah, What's funny as well is that this whole time I've owned a board game called Pandemic. Um, I didn't know there was a board game. That's weird. (laughs) There is a board game called Pandemic, which I have owned for like a year and a half or something. But when the pandemic hit, I wouldn't play it because I was scared Mm. like a Jumanji thing might happen. (laughs) And suddenly whether or... And it's a a notoriously hard game to win. Yeah. Um, And I was suddenly like, I'm going to have to play Pandemic and save the universe from the (laughs) pandemic. And I'm not... (laughs) good enough at this game to do that mm. but so how do you sorry how do you win pandemic <laughs> just need oh to take god some it's so hard so you so you're all on the same team and yeah. you kind of like 
can't really remember. Are there dice? I don't. I think you roll dice and the virus spreads to different countries. Oh God. And there are a few different viruses as well. Oh Jesus. <laughs> and basically you and the team have special skills and you mm. have to build research centers. And so, you know, you can have a skill like you're a researcher or you're an immediate first responder mm-hmm. and you helicopter somewhere and then you can, you know, get a scientist to a research center and then they develop a cure and then somebody else gets the cure to different countries. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not explaining it well, but basically the virus can win because it just gets bigger and bigger. Right. Uh, and is there like a skilled role for a May? Is there roles for, for like podcaster? <laughs> yeah, podcaster, theatre producers, <laughs> comedy producers. Yes. Are they and involved in the co- photographers? No, they're not. They're I'm not afraid. Oh. <laughs> but they should be because you know they're a very important part of us all getting through it. Mm. Um, obviously, yeah. hats off to the scientists. <laughs> And the doctors. And the NHS workers. Credit well, yeah. Credits exactly. I definitely think that there's a correlation between us coming back to sci-fi and fantasy worlds, you know, during such a dystopian time. Um, I think a lot of us have found ourselves turning to different types of stories for comfort and I think, you know, as we said before, at the start of lockdown, um, we did send each other a few uplifting Lord of the Rings quotes, didn't we? Yeah, the one we often come back to, which is when Frodo saying he wishes the ring had never come to him. Mm. And Gandalf says, you know, and he wishes that none of it had happened at all. And Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All you have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to you. Mm. That's a really resonant one, I think, because sometimes when everything feels so overwhelming and too big, not knowing where to start or how to help, you can feel really helpless. And Mm. it kind of reduces all those decisions down to, well, you have an allotted time. What can you do? Mm. There's a bit of graffiti on this wall as you leave Brian on the train, which says something like, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And I I think it's got a similar sentiment, which I really like. Mm, I love that. I think one of my big takeaways from Lord of the Rings was just the way that they talk about death, like how it's the next great adventure and a path that we all must take. And Mm. I've come back to that at different times and, you know, just found it really reassuring. Yeah, that's a really comforting moment. And also personally associating with the character of Pippin so much, Mm. Um, and having such an awareness of death just running through my psyche forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like the consistent white noise at the back of our brains. Mm. Yeah, Mm. I'll be about to bite into some delicious donut and my head is like, death is coming. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter who you are. We are all going to die. (laughs) Um, And on that lovely note. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, listeners, just, you know, you didn't know you were going to listen and have an existential crisis today, but here mm. we are. <laughs> we're just here to remind you. <laughs> just here to remind you, whether you're rich or poor, <laughs> we're all going to end up in the same place, my friend. So mentors have obviously played a huge part in these stories. Uh, They're the characters often dropping these memorable lines and nuggets of advice. Uh, The first ones that spring to mind are obviously, you know, Yoda, Dumbledore, Mm -hmm. Gandalf, Giles from Buffy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's a shame because unfortunately the only examples I can think of are 
you know, white or green men. <laughs> white and green, you know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> With Yoda, so I love Yoda, but I have to say one of his most famous quotes, the do or do not, there is no try. I find that quite intimidating. Yeah, I have to say, I actually disagree with Yoda on that one. Uh, I made a note of it and just thought, mm, there is try though, isn't there, Yoda? Arguably trying is more important. That's definitely what I've been led to believe. Yoda didn't get the memo about taking part. Mm-hmm. The beating heart of every sports day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yoda never had to, to run to the end of a line with an egg on a spoon, obviously. No. <laughs> never, never put through that. <laughs> I mean, one thing that Yoda says that, has stuck with me is um he says fear is the path to the dark side fear leads Mm. to anger anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering and i thought "Mm, that i do think that fear is at the root of a lot of hate that we see in the world Mm, that's very some very wise words from him there i feel like yeah definitely the media and government offered encourage people to be afraid of each other so that blame is just sent in all the wrong directions he's so Mm. wise Mm mm-hmm he is. In Star Wars, there are quite a few mentor relationships like Obi-Wan to Anakin, Luke to Rey. I really like the characters where you can see that they struggle with the responsibility of that position mm. and perhaps are kind of a bit more equal to their mentee. Mm-hmm. Like Iron Man to Peter Parker, you kind of see him struggle with having that role. And for me, that's, you know, it's just more interesting than a character kind of like Dumbledore who feels quite closed off. And he's a bit like this all-knowing oracle, which I, I do find a bit difficult to engage with. Mm, yeah. And even Gandalf doesn't have all the answers. That's true. I mean, what I would say about Dumbledore is that, you know, now we know he's a much more complicated and multifaceted character. Um, but you don't really find that out until the last book. Um, and he mm. does come across as kind of an all-knowing wise uh, presence up to that. So, so yeah, that's interesting. Dumbledore does have some corkers though. Oh yeah. I like in the first film when it's, um, I don't know whether it happens like this in the book. I'm sure you'll know, but the one he says when Harry keeps going back to the mirror of Erised mm. and gazing into it and Dumbledore says, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Oh, it's carpe diem essentially, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> carpe diem, Harry. <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring. No, not quite. Yeah. I thought a bit about, you know, if I had to choose one overarching theme from the Harry Potter books, because like, I do feel like there are a lot, but, and this is going to sound the most corniest thing I've said on the podcast, but I do, yeah, I do think that the overarching theme of Harry Potter, brace yourself, uh, is the power of love. Um, Um, mm -hmm. You know, it starts there with Lily. And Mm -hmm. it ends there as well. It's very, it's true. It's very Mm -hmm. true. Very popular song title in the 80s. Very popular (laughs) message in books. Do you think that's where JK, is that where JK got the inspiration for the, for the Harry Potter series? Potentially. I need a, I need a wizarding series about the power of love. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Don't we all? Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Harry Potter, I think, I feel like there is such a clear line between good and evil. And I don't know if it's as blurred as it can be in Star Wars, maybe Lord of the Rings with Gollum, but, you know, where the dark side appeals to everyone for a bit. Um, Mm. I actually 
thinking about it, I don't feel like Harry is a particularly flawed hero. You know, like he's never, um, he's never super tempted by the dark side. Yeah. He's kind of more fearful of it mm. inside himself. I feel like, I like the conversation he has with Sirius where he's realizing that he has a connection with Voldemort and he's worried that he's actually becoming evil. Mm-hmm. yeah which i think even just as you know his anxiety around it is quite relatable like mm. everyone worries that they're actually evil well i feel like most <laughs> people do i don't know what you mean well fine i definitely do and sirius says that kind of thing about everybody has dark and light in them and it's the bit you choose to act on which is who you are mm. is that a quote from the book i'm just remembering gary oldman and daniel radcliffe having a cuddle in that room Mm, yeah cute yeah I feel like uh there's a lot of light and dark references in the series um because it's also Dumbledore who says happiness can be found even in the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light Mm. I love I I like that quote but I do sometimes I find it a little bit hard to understand so Mm. at first I kind of was like is it associated with the deluminator or is it you know, the meaning of happiness is always accessible to you. You just need to remember what to do to kind of find it in yourself or. Yeah, that was, that was always my interpretation of it. And like, Mm. you know, obviously that doesn't necessarily apply to people who have clinical depression. No, (laughs) you know, I wouldn't be sending them Dumbledore quotes saying you've just got to turn on that light inside you Mm. uh, because that wouldn't help them. Um, And, you know, all of these kind of platitudes can be damaging to mental health conversations. Yeah, they can, they can sometimes oversimplify quite a complex set of emotions and solutions. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, for me, there are some platitudes there that like I personally find helpful remembering. So, you know, for me, Dumbledore's quote um, reminds me that, I don't know, I could be unhappy because I haven't got X, Y, or Z. And, you know, when I sit down and decide to be grateful for A, B, and C instead, then that does change how I feel about it. So for me, that's what he means. Yeah, exactly. And interpretations vary, I guess. Um, And it's about finding what speaks to you and sharing it with others, but not forcing it on them or expecting Mm. them to take the same comfort from it. Yeah. Like I love, you know, little quotes or sound bites and I find them really helpful just to sort of stay buoyant. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of act like a shorthand for me as a reminder of the message of the whole film sometimes. So we've talked before about Sam's speech in Lord of the Rings, but a little droplet of that can ignite all the muscle memory and emotional memory I have from watching the film. Mm. Um, but I can imagine if you don't have an association with the film, that quote or quotes from it isolated might not be as meaningful. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they still would be. I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think when you hear a quote that you associate with the music and the visual of what was going on in that scene, it can mean something different. Mm. But, you know, films aside, you and me, we do love a quote in general. Mm. <laughs> and I feel like it gets a bit of a bad rep now to uh, love an inspirational quote on Instagram. But you know, I find myself screenshotting the ones that speak to me. And, you know, if you look at my camera roll, it's, you know, I do that a lot. (laughs) Oh my God, same. I know it's not very cool. (laughs) I almost want to get like, and I'm totally not a live, laugh, love person, Mm. but to respond to what you said about it not being cool to like inspirational quotes, I'm kind of tempted to get a live, laugh, love 
something somewhere in my house. (laughs) Why is it a crime to enjoy being reminded to live, laugh and love? I know it's basic and it is shit, but honestly, you know, I mean, and I wouldn't get it in my house, but if I did want to, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing. And as we've said, we, we love a bit of alliteration. So exactly for a start. I like to live. I like to laugh. I like to love. Shoot me. What's wrong with that? (laughs) So shoot me. And if you're anti those things, I think you need to take a long, hard look in the mirror. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I know it's a bit different, but so one of my friend's mums absolutely loves novelty signs. And so up around their house, there are loads of like, you know, like a clean house is a sign of a wasted life. Um, If you want breakfast in bed, sleep in the kitchen. (laughs) All those nuggets of gold. And I love them. Well, I got mum something I found in a charity shop, which was that little sign that said, uh, if you have a garden and a library, you have everything you need. Yeah. But that, honestly, that does sum up mum really well. I love that kind of thing. Me too. We've sort of outed ourselves as liking basic platitudes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, look, people, sometimes you don't have to get your comfort and inspiration from something really highbrow. Uh, you know, my friend's got a sign in their office that says, these are the good times. Oh, yeah. And you know, some people I know rip him a little bit for it, but I really like it. I love that. It's a nice reminder. That's so nice. These are the good times and it's really important to remember. (laughs) Exactly. Plus the people, you know, in like 30 years time, people will look back and they'll have a moment where they'll be like, those were the good times. Mm, I know. I think it's really nice. I used to have a quote that I stuck on my mirror and it was one, it was the one that says ships in the harbour are safe, but that's not what ships are built for. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> which has a, yeah, it has an adventurous undertone, which mm-hmm. appealed to me. Um, and obviously when we had a house party, I was showing a guy my room and not in an exciting way, just in a, this is my room. <laughs> and he saw it and I think he thought it was the least cool thing in the entire world. So... <laughs> I tell you what, maybe it could have been an exciting t- in an exciting way, but he saw that <laughs> sign and he thought, mm. <laughs> big, uh, big cock block attached mm. to my mirror. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Was he a bit of a soft boy? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of hid it, but I, I didn't throw it away because mm-hmm. I knew I would need it again. Yeah. And I think you always remember a quote that's meant something to you. You know, one I often return to is, uh, Sometimes courage does not roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I'll try again tomorrow. Oh my God. Love that one. There was a Guardian article by Anna Bradley about how fantasy can inspire us to live in the real world. And basically she, she kind of breaks it down into a couple of take-home headlines about what we learn from fantasy. So the first headline is hope isn't stupid, mm-hmm. which is nice. Mm-hmm. Then it's size doesn't matter when it comes to bravery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's lots of kids, you know, like Narnia or like hobbits. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I feel like the goodies are always outnumbered by the baddies in heroic adventure stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, and then the other one is power is not necessarily a good thing, which is true. Mm, that's a big one. I find that one coming up a lot. And mm. actually, in Harry Potter, uh, Dumbledore breaks out the air. Uh, those who are best suited to power have never sought it. Yeah, it's the kind of thing we spoke about before, isn't it? The um, 
what is it? The king who doesn't want it. Yeah, yeah. The reluctant king. <laughs> yeah, the reluctant king, exactly, is the best king. Um, not Bran, who's been sitting in the shadows knowing it's going to be him the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, I think one of the reasons our country is sometimes a mess uh, is because, you know, the people who lead it want the power. And, I mean, why would you want that job? Yeah, a little bit weird Mm. and like don't get me wrong there are definitely mps who make a difference and who are good people yeah absolutely but like generally to want to be prime minister and have that level of responsibility i don't know i feel like very few people who have done it um Mm. you know have really nailed it (laughs) yeah that's a fair assessment Mm. of the uh leadership Yeah. yeah the uk i so obviously if i was prime minister i would try and do loads of good socially conscious things but one thing I would be really like really excited about you know with that role and I'm kind of just assuming that that this is part of the job but they must kind of get to know all of the latest discoveries like whether we've ever come across aliens or if there is a magical world because you know in Harry Potter when they're like we've alerted the Muggle Prime Minister (laughs) (laughs) oh my god can you imagine them having to alert Boris oh my god (sighs) The embarrassment. So embarrassing, yeah. Nothing for our muggle reputation. No, Boris is not a representation of the people of the UK. Um, and then the other side of me is kind of like, well, he's a bit of a representation <laughs> of the UK. <laughs> but we just like any wizards who are listening to know, uh, he doesn't speak for us, okay? No. If you want to touch base with the muggle world, you, you hit us up, okay? Oh, yeah. Come to <laughs> us. Um. And then the final headline of that Guardian article is just, there's magic in the world, which I like. Mm, (laughs) I love that. Um, I feel like, I don't know, I have this quote, another one, imprinted on my brain um, (laughs) throughout the years. And I always come back to it from uh, the Minpins in Roald Dahl. Um, Mm. And the book ends with, uh, those who don't believe in magic will never find it, Um, which I love. And you know, I do believe that there are types of magic in the world and stuff. I, you know, yeah, I kind of get on board with that. Definitely. And I think the thing about power comes up a lot in Spider-Man as well, doesn't it? Yeah, the famous one with, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, which I think obviously is true, particularly when you're talking about world leaders. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing we've spoken about quite frequently over the last months uh, recording this is the responsibility of the artist and obviously this isn't a new argument um art has been made by problematic people for years uh, picasso was a womanizer uh, wagner was accused of being anti-semitic uh, although i feel like historical figures like them have been easy to shrug off as you mm. know it doesn't excuse it but like a product of the time and it it's felt like it was something that was quite long ago Um, Mm. but as we've been making this podcast and talking about the stories, films, books that we love, uh, we've sort of found ourselves talking about it and it come coming up again and again for us, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. It's just lurked under a lot of conversations, but I think it's kind of perhaps a case by case approach. Like I feel that there isn't one answer. And when I was looking into what do you do when the people who've moved you with their art Mm. um, and with those quotes that we've been talking about, those pearls of wisdoms, A, don't live up to them themselves and B, actually sometimes make parts of the world worse. That's really hard to reconcile. Yeah. Like can their art stand alone or is it a part of them and therefore that work is tainted and 
Yeah, it feels like there isn't a definitive answer. And I mean, from what I was reading online, it feels like it's stumped pretty much everyone. Yeah. I looked up a couple of articles about it and I read a Vox one that I found really thought provoking. So it's by Constance Grady and it's titled, What Do We Do When the Art We Love Was Created by a Monster? Hmm. Um, So she talks a bit about the idea of removing art from the artist and how that became a trend in literary criticism during a time when the humanities were trying to be a bit more like science. So people were thinking that for a piece of art to have merit, it should be able to be lifted from its context and author and still be effective. Mm-hmm. But then other people thought that that information was really informative in assessing and understanding the work. And so like, why would you remove it? Okay. Um, but yeah, out of the article, she highlights three things that you can choose to do when art you love is made by someone you disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can decide death of the author. It doesn't belong to them. And to let them ruin it for you gives them more power than they deserve. Or you can decide that, you know, ideas that artists have, which you find problematic, are perpetuated in their work. So, right. you know, and by indulging in it, you're complicit. So she gives the example of R. Kelly songs, which are often about sexual interactions. Mm. So once it's in the context and you understand that they were probably vulnerable or underage people, you mm-hmm. can decide that that work glamorizes it and that you're complicit. Right. Um, and then the final idea is that you can accept that artists aren't morally virtuous. Mm, yeah. She also talks a bit about um, the really concrete thing you can do by choosing not to give them your money. So, because uh, I suppose there's a responsibility that comes with being a consumer and when that makes you an enabler. So, sorry, just to come back to the R. Kelly thing. Um mm. I suppose it's similar to Woody Allen films. So, Mm. you know, now when I watch some of his work, uh, it does give me a bit of the ick because, you know, there's plot lines with uh, younger underage girls falling in love with older men. And yeah, I guess the content of the art in his case uh, and R. Kelly is slightly complicit in those views. Mm. Alternatively, with people like Weinstein, um, you know, he was a big part creating the King's Speech, but... You know, do I think that that film holds any of his horrific views towards women uh, in its messages or its narrative? You know, no, I don't. He's also, I mean, this comes up again, but he is also one part of lots of different people who created that piece of work. Yeah. He's not the be all and end all of it, you know, which is another factor to think about. Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe it is a bit of a case by case basis. And yeah, and with some artists, you'll never be able to remove the gaze of that knowledge when you interact with their work, just because it's you've had an emotional response to it. So that gaze is always there. Yeah, and I know it's I know it's not as simple as this, but like for me, when it's come up in conversations before, like I've always reverted to the fact that the world is full of imperfect humans uh, who create imperfect art. So. You know, mm. I don't think that we'll ever live in a world where all art is ever created by morally just individuals. Um, I don't know if I see a world where that happens. I do think as, there is also a bit of a separation between the mm. people who have broken the law and people who have different worldviews. Right. So with Harvey Weinstein, you know, he should be put on trial because he's broken the law. And I know the justice system is broken. And so often the public have to fight for that accountability, but they shouldn't have to. Yeah. Um, and then there's people like JK Rowling who haven't broken the law, but mm-hmm. for me say things I disagree with. 
And so I don't want to give her more money and, you know, power, strength in her platform. But then I can't undo being moved by Harry Potter. And I don't think her ideas about the trans community, which I disagree with, are present in the book. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's helpful to feel guilty about enjoying those things. You just have to decide what your reaction is to this new piece of information and look at what else you're doing to support people, I suppose. Yeah. And that comes into it as well. Like there are artists whose views you can strongly disagree with. And, you know, then there's people who have broken the law. And I suppose that those are differing areas. Um, but I guess even with people who have broken the law, like, I don't know, is that where the line is in terms of appreciating their art? Yeah, it's difficult. And also with Weinstein, because he's kind of everywhere. And I'm sure he still gets royalties from some older movies, but at least he hopefully won't be making any more work in the future. Yeah, right. Maybe that's another factor that comes into it. You know, is the artist being held accountable? Maybe that comes into play about how you feel about consuming their art. Yeah, I do think it's a case by case question and not everyone has to do the same thing. I guess what's difficult, like you mentioned, is with the people who are victims, they must just find it really difficult when they hear someone says that they're choosing to separate the art from the artist. I imagine that would feel like your experience was being invalidated. And unless, you know, they've also decided to do that separation, I don't want to assume that I know how people feel. Yeah. And that will be how some people feel. Um, but it's also noting that some people won't feel like that. Um, there are trans individuals who still love Harry Potter. Um, the, yeah. Gay the Gaily Prophet, who are a fantastic podcast, and we'll link to them in our show notes, uh, have written some really thoughtful pieces on the JK situation. Um, they actually wrote a helpful guide on how to keep Harry Potter uh, without the author. And they mm. said, we are not separating the art from the artist. We are holding the artist accountable whilst giving ourselves permission to keep loving something that she made. JKR wrote Harry Potter and we can't pretend that she didn't, but that doesn't mean that we can't love these books that meant and continue to mean so much to so many of us. It does mean that we need to do so with intention and integrity. And that's what this guide is here to help with. Mm. So yeah, yeah I will, I'll link to their guide. But rounding back to art versus the artist, um, I think it's okay that we don't have an answer for it all. And I know that, you know, before we were recording, I think we felt a pressure that we had to know exactly how we felt about it and know what the answer was mm. bef before exploring the topic. But I think now maybe it's more about just having the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have some game questions that I wrote down oh, yeah. that we could round off today with. Mm -hmm. um, so one was, if you could choose a mentor from any science fiction or fantasy world, which mentor would you choose? <sighs> it's got to be Gandalf, hasn't it? Yeah, Gandalf's good. And he's slightly realer to me than Yoda. Mm. Although, I mean, obviously they are both fictional, but... <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's got to be Gandalf. I mean, he's definitely got the most pearls of wisdom. The, so the other question I have um, was in a fantasy world, and I'm afraid this isn't really to do with wisdom. This is more to do with like holidays, because that's also <laughs> where my head is at. Okay. But if you had to have a holiday house, settle down and do an all night party in a fantasy fictional environment, which ones would you choose? Oh, okay. Sorry, say them again. Have a holiday house. Holiday house that you visit once a year, the place that you live for the rest of your life, mm. 
and one place you go for one big party Mm, okay I probably settle down in the shire same I'd have a holiday home at Hogwarts that's a great idea yeah or like diagonally I'd have a holiday Mm. home somewhere in there and sorry what was the other one all night party all night party maybe Kylo Ren's spaceship hope he's there (laughs) and all night party for two I see okay um so I feel the same about the settle down location the shire although it would be nice to have somewhere by the sea Mm. but that's the only thing I would miss I'm gonna pretend that the shire is a half an hour drive from the seaside yeah holiday house maybe each year on holiday I'd go to Floston Paradise oh yeah that would be great (laughs) or something like that (laughs) And then the all-night party, I thought this was genius, I would have an all-night party with all of the Avengers at Tony Stark's. <gasps> like, you know when they have the party? Yes. And yeah. they're not watching Vision and Ultron. Um, yeah. I'd have a party there. And they're having. And we'd all be, like, laughing because I can't pick up Thor's hammer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. A party with all of them would be great. I love Marvel, but it sometimes does still feel like a bit of a sausage fest. Like I still love it. And it does feel like they're really, I don't know, evolving and investing more in their female characters now, like with WandaVision. Yeah. And the new Black Widow film. Yeah, definitely. I think before it has sometimes felt to me that like sci-fi and fantasy to a little extent have like, I don't know, historically had a reputation for being quite a masculine male dominated genre um you know when you think about uh, the creators and like lord of the rings star wars uh, and the mm. cast i guess as is the case with so many things it's just because you know those are the people who had the platform yeah the platform and the power mm. um i also think that stories women like or are drawn to have often been dismissed as like not high art which is something that lots of people have talked about in much greater detail but I think that's probably one of the excuses people have used to then exclude them from creating in certain genres. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, sometimes there's an element of gatekeeping, which has closed mm. off elements of fandom for people in the past. But I feel like that's improving and, you know, it's not so much anymore. Definitely. Like you say, things are changing. And partly because studios are being like, oh, there are women who want to pay to see this film. So I should probably put some women in it because that's probably quite appealing to them. <laughs> what an innovative idea yeah <laughs> wow <laughs> um but yeah and we touched a little bit on that in the twilight episode and some people don't like it when they view a space that's theirs being kind of opened up to other people but mm-hmm. do you know what they can fuck off <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i agree and i think one of the things that i really liked early on about our podcast you know not to toot our own horn too much um someone's gotta as someone's gotta (laughs) but i feel like no we get plenty of tooting which we oh yeah appreciate we do (laughs) i feel like having a title you know as something like why is kylo ren so hot Mm. i kind of liked that it was making something a bit sci-fi i don't know a bit girly and a bit funny and silly yeah well why not i feel like it's kind of like I don't know, as a title, the kind of title that would be in like Sugar Magazine when you're young. (laughs) 
why is Kylo Ren so fit? Why is Kylo Ren? And then you do a quiz being like, which yeah. Star Wars person will I am I like? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've yeah, I've really enjoyed that element. Definitely. Yeah. And it's not even a new thing that women have been creating sci-fi. There's been some really famous female sci-fi writers like Octavia E. Butler for one. Yeah. Well, Mary Shelley, one of the OGs. Yeah, Frankenstein. Yeah. Is that sci-fi? I always get a bit confused about what's sci-fi and what's fantasy. There is science involved. Mm, it could happen. It could happen. <laughs> it's a bit like, is you know, Jurassic Park sci-fi or fantasy? Because, I don't know, Elon Musk said he could do it. Has he not watched the film? Don't do it, Elon. <laughs> Stay away. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I think that, you know, there'll just be more and more stories in those kinds of worlds because I've got such an appetite for it mm. and I'm quite hopeful about things going forward because so for example the way the Mandalorian was made made me mm. feel really encouraged for the future because yeah. they had five different directors all with really different lived experiences working together to tell the story and it just worked so well yeah the way the Mandalorian was made is the future and just gives me so much hope <laughs> definitely thank you John Favreau <laughs> Yes. Wherever you are, John, I want you to know. And Dave Filoni. <laughs> Oof, yeah. And Dave yeah. Filoni. Great work. And the whole the whole team. We're doing an Oscars thing. I know. You don't, <laughs> you don't want to miss anyone out. Jesus. I know. I know I don't. Um, anyway. Uh, well, we should probably think about rounding this off. But um, it's been glorious to uh, chat to you today, sister. You too. As always. Always, always a pleasure. pleasure. Never, Never a chore. chore. um we're gonna have a little a little break Mm -hmm. but we will be you know i think look hot girl summer's coming hot vac summer (laughs) and hot vaccinated summer (laughs) hot vac summer and it'll be nice you know i think that there are some other bits and pieces that we want to try out some other projects Mm -hmm. we want to make but i think that we'll probably come back to this when the um when the winters draw in and you need some silly stuff to listen to again. <laughs> and the nights get longer. We'll, uh... Exactly. And the night is dark and full of terrors. We'll be mm-hmm. back. <laughs> we'll be back. Yeah. Like chunky knitwear and uh, a pumpkin latte from Starbucks. Oh, exactly. We will return. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, we've, um, we've got a few creative projects that we want to get our teeth into this summer and we'll keep you all updated on what those are um and just thank you so much to everyone who's listened to our first our first two series um you know all of the people have sent us lovely messages and left us reviews um we really really appreciate the support and yeah thanks for being a lovely distraction over lockdown yeah you really have made the past few months actually quite good in lots of ways (laughs) absolutely yeah um fab all right then well over and out for now see you soon see you soon bye bye bye